Hello and thanks for joining us for another edition of Kingdom 101. My name is Hanson and I'm from Our Keepers Awakening. We are a ministry dedicated to the awakening of saints so that we may all know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And that is where Kingdom 101 comes in. We believe if we want to move on kingdom assignments properly and clearly, we need to know and have good kingdom foundations. And that's why 101, back to the basics. Our objectives are very, very simple here. We go through the book of Matthew, a kingdom manual, and we want to know Jesus all over again. We want to embrace the things of his kingdom so that we may be positioned to receive and move on our kingdom assignments. And so thanks for joining us. Let's say a quick prayer and we'll get into today's teaching. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege of declaring the word of the kingdom. I pray for myself and I pray for everyone watching, listening, tuning in. That Lord Jesus, we will hear you by your Holy Spirit. You will teach us and we will move in accordance to all that you desire of us and for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have been journeying with us, we have been going through the book of Matthew. And in this season, specifically, Matthew chapter 15. Today's passage is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. It's about Jesus meeting a Gentile woman who comes with a request. Her daughter is possessed by demons and she comes to Jesus asking him to cast the demon out. Well, it's a beautiful story. Of course, they have a little exchange and the woman says a few things. Jesus marvels at what she says and then proclaims that she has great faith and then grants her her request. Well, I'm not going to read this passage for you. I hope that you will have time by yourself to go through it so that you can get into the details. But I will unpack it uh, verse by verse, drawing from also a parallel passage in the book of Mark. So if you're ready, let's jump into today's teaching. Let me set the scene for you first. And we read in the very first verse, Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, these two places um, are not unfamiliar to a Jewish audience. But for us, maybe we're not so familiar. Normally, Jesus would minister in the region of Galilee. And that was where he was. But he moves out from there. He gets into the coastal region next to the Mediterranean coast. And as you can see from the map, these two cities are situated along this coast. Tyre as well as Sidon. Now again, the Jews would understand these two places quite well. These are ancient cities and they would have heard of this in the Old Testament in their scriptures as well as certain stories that they have uh, been drawn from these two places. For example, Sidon. Remember Elijah where he was sent to this place called Zarephath and God provided for Elijah through this widow? Well, that's exactly in this region. Not only that, in this place, this guy called, or rather this lady called Jezebel, she is the daughter of the king of Sidon. Wow, so you see, when we mention these two places, the Jews, the audience of Matthew's gospel, they would know exactly what he's talking about. Now, these two places were not spoken favorably in the Old Testament. 
In fact, if you go to Isaiah chapter 23, verses 1 to 12, um, there are certain things pronounced over these two places, not exactly great stuff. As well as in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 to 17. I think you're familiar with this guy called the King of Tyre. And in fact, some allude to say that this passage might be talking about Satan or about Lucifer. Now, these two places were already mentioned also in the Gospel of Matthew a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. And Jesus, in mentioning them, he was comparing Chorazin and Bethsaida, Jewish places, for their unbelief as compared to Tyre and Sidon. And so the Jews who have hated this kind of a comparison with Gentile cities as well as Gentile towns. So let's set the scene, right? Before this entire passage, Jesus was, and has, had already encountered the Pharisees and they came to him and saying, your, your disciples don't wash their hands. You've got unclean hands and you're handling food that will make it unclean also. We've already done that in the last two teachings. Now this makes it even crazier, right? Unclean hands... And Jesus goes to unclean lands. Well, not exactly kosher destinations for the Jewish people. And so this is the context that we have. And Jesus leaves that region in Galilee and goes to a place where the, the Jews were not really crazy about. But there's something in this region and there's a reason why Matthew includes this. And through this teaching, I hope that it will become clearer for you and for all of us. And there's so much that we can learn also. But before that, three quick points. Three quick points. Now, you remember, number one, that Jesus had already had this encounter with the Pharisees. It says that Jesus went out from there and he departed to the region in, uh, in Tyre and as well as Sidon. First point I want you to note is about timing and about wisdom. Now, Jesus in departing, he was withdrawing from the confrontation. Now, we know that Jesus was not a coward. If he had to go head to head with these people, he would and he would take his stand. But you see, there's a time to confront and that there's a time to withdraw. And we need the wisdom to know which is which and when is when. So timing and wisdom is needed even as we move on kingdom assignments as we serve our Lord and our Master. Now the second quick point is this. Why did Jesus get out to these places? And we see in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, that we are told he entered a house and he wanted no one to know it. So point number two, retreat and rest. Okay, so point number one was about timing and wisdom. Point number two is that there is a time to do work and there is a time to rest. The Gospel of Mark tells us he gets into this house and really, he just wants to be alone maybe with his disciples. He may have to... He may have to review certain things with them and he was bringing them out for perhaps a little retreat with them. He didn't want anyone to know about this. So friends, there's a time to work for the Lord and there's a time it's okay to rest and to retreat. But point number three is that it's hard to hide a king. <laughs> it, the Gospel of Mark tells us he could not be hidden. Now, it's hard to hide the king and his kingdom. Jesus, the light of the world, the true light. It's, do you realize this? It's hard to hide light. 
So as much as at times, you know, we may want to take a break, we may want to just pull away for a while. I'm telling you, my friends, if you're carrying the light of the glory of Jesus, if you know the King and the things of His kingdom, there's news here for you. It's hard to hide the glory of the King. And if you're living for Jesus and if you're bringing kingdom influence in different places, I can tell you that you will begin to shine whether you like it or not. It's hard to hide the king. Now, this passage reminds me of what Jesus says to all of his people. He says, you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So friends, there is a timing and you need wisdom to know when to do what and when to say what. But there's also a time where it's okay for you to rest and to relax. But stand by, because it's hard to hide the king that's, that's within you. His glory will shine forth even through these earthen vessels. And be ready if the time calls and it's needed for you to say something and do something. Well, just understand this. At least you know Jesus is radiating through you and shining through you. And you are displaying and demonstrating the things of the kingdom. And so there's this woman who hears about Jesus and she knows something about him and she comes to him. You see, word about Jesus had already gone around the region. It was trending in not just Galilee, but even across the regions into Tyre and Sidon. Not just in Israel, but also in Gentile territory and Gentile land. So a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit had already heard about him. And that is recorded in Mark chapter 7 verse 25. In Matthew chapter 15, in our passage, verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. Now, as if that region wasn't bad enough, Matthew wanted to make a point. A woman of Canaan. Now, this would ring alarm bells in Jewish ears and understanding. Canaan was their all-time enemy, right? God had asked Joshua, bring Israel in. I want you to whack everyone in the land of Canaan. And so when you say Canaan, ooh, bad news, enemy territory, we don't like these people. Woman, even worse, in those days, the, st the social standing of women were frowned upon. And so this was like a double whammy, a triple whammy from that region, Gentile territory, unclean lands. Everything was compounding one upon another. And this person comes to Jesus. And, and she comes with a request because her daughter has got an unclean spirit and she says, Jesus, will you please help me you know, get this demon out of her? But I want you to see that this passage is more than just about deliverance from demons. Matthew had already covered it earlier on. We know Jesus can cast demons out. In fact, the daughter's demonic deliverance was a done deal. It was almost like an afterthought, uh, as you will see through this entire passage. As I prepared for this and I studied a little bit more, what caught my attention was, was not this demonic deliverance. It was how much the woman knew. Yeah, sure, she knew that Jesus could cast out demons. But as I went through this entire passage and I saw the dialogue and the conversation she had with Jesus, she knew so much more. And that is what we will be covering in this session. I want to share with you what she knew. Six points here, six things that she knew. And I tell you, we can learn so much from what she knew. But tucked in between what she knew, I will share with you also what Jesus knew. 
and after we know what, what she knew, and after she, we know what Jesus knew, it is important then for us to apply to ourselves because we need to know what they knew. And so if you're ready, I'm going to jump in quickly because there's much ground to cover and I hope that this will encourage you and help you even in your kingdom understanding of who Jesus is and what he is all about. Well, firstly, point number one, what did she know? Number one, she knew Jesus as Messiah and as King and as Judge. We get that information from Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. She comes to Jesus, she cries out, and she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Now, the terms that she used were very, very familiar with the people of Israel. Now, Matthew's audience was the Jews. But for a Gentile to use these terms, it was radical. She comes and she says, Oh Lord, and we had already explored this one term earlier when Peter shouted, Lord, if it's you, you know, command me, I'm, I'm going to walk on water. Now, since it's you, since you are the king, will you command me? This woman uses the exact same term. He says, she says, Oh Lord, in other words, Oh King. And not just that, she uses a messianic title that would be very common for the Jews and they understood it well. O son of David. Now, all through Matthew, he uses this term because he traces the genealogy of Jesus, wanting to convince the people of the land there to say, look, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the one to come. He comes in the line of David. So can you see, for the woman to use these terms, it was surprising, it was radical for that time. But she didn't just use a title, say, oh, king, you know, oh, you are the Messiah. She realizes that as she is, as, as Jesus is king, his kingship is not just king of the Jews, but he's king of the entire land. Now, remember, she is a woman of Canaan, which means she knew that years before her ancestors, they were conquered by uh, Israel. When Israel came in, they were conquered by the kingdom of God. So what she's saying here is profound. She's saying, Lord Jesus, you are here. You are the king. Now, your people didn't just conquer for Israel, your people. You conquered this entire land, and I belong to this entire conquest, and so I acknowledge you as king. Now, not only in the physical realm, now, this blows my mind. She even knows because you are king, and because you are judge, and you are the messiah, you don't rule only the physical, you rule also the spiritual. And that's why I can come to you and if you say to these demons to get out of my daughter, they will have to obey you because you are not just king physically, you are king spiritually, you are the king of kings and you are the lord of lords. This was what she knew and she applied it entirely when she came. She said, oh lord, oh son of David, oh messiah, oh king. That's the first thing that she knew. But she didn't stop there. The second thing that she knew, she knew how to approach the king. She knew how to come to Jesus and then she, 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 she didn't just go to Jesus and say, uh, can you just do this for me? Huh? Please, la, can. La, huh? I'm sure you'll do this, right? I mean, come on, we're good friends. Huh? Just for old time's sake, you know, after all, you know, Canaan, Israel, we've been together for a long time. No, she didn't come presumptuously. She knew exactly how to approach the king. 
And we see from the words in verse 22, she says, have mercy on me. She comes and she asks for mercy. She, she didn't come presumptuously. She realizes that if the king does not show mercy, she will be gone. He doesn't have to request, uh, grant anything of her request. And so she begs for mercy. And she comes and she acknowledges her position. She recognizes her desperation and her great need. And if we say grace is receiving what is not deserved and mercy is not, receive, not receiving what is deserved, then she might be saying, look, I know I'm in this plight because of everything and anything and my people, my sin, you know, my condition. I, I totally deserve this. But, you know, in your mercy, can you just remove this from me, from my daughter, from my family, from my people? I beg you, I come and ask for mercy. She knew how to approach Jesus. And not only that, she came and later on, when, when it, along the conversation, it says that she came and she worshipped. She worshipped the king. And I, I, I don't see a band down there. I don't think there were you know, nice lights and good sound equipment and a smoke machine that would come in. No, she didn't sing a song and she didn't go, oh, hallelujah, king. No, she didn't do that. She worshipped. And in the Greek word, the word worship means to come forward, to bow down, to kneel down, to move forward towards and to approach with reverence. And that's what exactly she did. She did not come presumptuously. It was a posture of humility and of submission, of reverence and of the fear of the Lord. She didn't come with entitlement to say, oh, you got to do this for me, you know. You are a visiting guest in my territory down here. No, she came and she knew exactly how to approach the king. She didn't even demand. She appealed and she petitioned to him. I think there's something that we can learn from this woman. You know, today there's this casualness of us approaching Jesus and approaching God. You know, we say, oh, you're my friend, oh Lord. You know, we come and we like fist, fist bump him and like, oh, yo. You know, and I, I think we've lost this reverence and we've lost this fear. And we say, you are okay, yes, yes, you know, but uh, we can be so informal with him. I think there's something we can learn from this woman. And she knows it, she knew it, and she approached the king in the way that that is correct and appropriate. Well, let's move on. The third thing that she knew was well, she knew how to be persistent in her request. We read through the entire passage that she, she comes not once, not twice, and she asks, and she kept asking, and she kept badgering Jesus. She was so persistent. Now, you might be wondering, is this correct or not? Was she being rude? I mean, after all, you said that she knew how to uh, approach Jesus in a correct reverence. And how can you come and badger a king in this manner? You see, in the days of old, it was very typical for judges, and especially when they were corrupt, they don't want to listen to anyone. They won't even give you a time of day. And they will not move until maybe you bribe them or you bring something to them. And if you remember the parable that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, there was a woman that approached a corrupt judge. It was an unjust judge. And because she was so persistent, the judge, just to get rid of her, would say, okay, okay, can you just tell me what you want and I'll try and do something for you. You see, that's how a corrupt judge would respond 
through someone's or to someone's persistence. And in that parable, Jesus says, how much more a judge who is just. And so she knew that Jesus would be a judge and she would just approach. She says, you know, I will just keep being persistent until you listen to me. I, I need you to pay attention to me. I need you to listen to my request because I'm demanding for justice. I'm asking for something there and I will be so persistent and I will not let go. In fact, she was so adamant and she was so persistent as recorded later that the, the, disciples, the, the disciples couldn't take it. She wouldn't take no for an answer. And that's why the disciples had to uh, uh, say a line to say, come on, you know, she cries after us. Jesus, will you do something or say something? The response of Jesus was rather interesting. He keeps quiet. And there's so many commentaries that uh, would wonder why did he keep quiet. Maybe it was to test her sincerity, to test her patience as well as her desperation. And it's true that some rabbis and some teachers would often do that just to see, you know, are you really learning something here? And is your, is, is, is your desperation sincere or not? Is it not true that when we read through scriptures, it is also, we also see certain times God keeps silent. I mean, take the Psalms, for example. So often the psalmist will cry out, oh, how long? You know, why do you keep silent? We're waiting on you. Why do you say something? And in and through that time, that faith becomes desperate. That faith becomes strengthened. And that faith holds on. And that faith matures. And so perhaps, in this scenario, maybe Jesus was just keeping quiet just to test her just that little bit more. But at the same time, perhaps he was testing his disciples. It was not just only for her, but it was also for the group that was with him. And they couldn't take it, right? They were like, oh, Jesus, can you just do something? She's, she's bothering us. We're here for a retreat. Can you just send her away? That's what it says in, in verse 23. Send her away for she cries after us. And very possibly, the disciples were still in their one-track mind. That's what we explored in the last teaching, right? Jesus was trying to tell them, look, you've got to get onto the kingdom track. It has to be a right track. But their one-track mind was still the same. It was still a clean versus unclean lands. We're in unclean territory. It was still Jew versus Gentile woman. You know, oh, I can't take this. Can you just send her away? And a woman, I mean, what would we have to do with a woman? And besides, come on, can you just... Ask her to go away. We're here on retreat. Get it? You know, retreat. You know, And so Jesus was also very likely, very possibly testing his disciples. And I think he, they were pressuring him to do something. And so one, maybe testing the woman. Two, maybe testing the disciples. But possibly, number three, he was considering, do I heal? Or don't I heal? Do I grant the request or not? Do I cast out that demon or not? Do I say okay? Do I say yes? Or do I say no? Now, why is this a possible scenario? I believe it's very possible because we see and we draw from the reply of Jesus. And this was what he said. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
In other words, indirectly, he was telling the disciples and even to this woman, obliquely, I was not sent to you guys. And so I'm considering if I'm not sent to you guys, to the Gentiles, then should I be casting out demons in this region? Should I say yes to you? And this is where we take a little detour to explore what Jesus knew. See, the woman already knew three things, coming to Jesus, approaching him in the right manner, persistently requesting because she knew something about Jesus. But here, let's, let's take a little pause from what she knew and let me share with you what Jesus knew, drawing from this one statement in verse 24. Now, this sounds really harsh. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I don't want you to take this and think that, oh, you know, Jesus does not care about the rest of the world. I mean, after all, he came to save the world. But what I want you to see is that Jesus was very, very clear about his primary assignment. He knew exactly what he had to do, how he had to do it, when he had to do it, and what it entailed. And so he was focused and he knew his priorities. And that's why he was processing. I want to imagine even as he was saying this and keeping silent, he might have been praying to see, Lord, Father, is this correct? Do I do this or not? And as we talk about kingdom assignments and primary assignments, we teach this in Archippus Awakening. And we will tell the people, we will tell the Archippuses or those who want to learn more about assignments how to clarify your assignments with just five simple things. Now, if you know your assignment, and definitely Jesus knew, he was sent to save the entire world. But primarily, where was he to minister and who was he to reach to? And you go through these five simple points. Number one, who was he sent to? Well, he answers this question. I was sent to the house of Israel. So very clear. If it's house of Israel, no problemo. I will talk to you and I will reach out to you. I'll do everything that needs to be done. What's the purpose? Why do I need to talk to the house of Israel first? They are lost, right? It says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus would go to his own first because they are lost. So if he does not reach them first, they will remain lost. And that's why he was so clear and so focused. Now, where would this be? Obviously, in the land of Israel, and that's why he would minister around the region of Galilee. That was his base. Now, he would move from different place to different place, but he would always come back to that place of Galilee. Now, here comes the plan. Now, how would he do it? Well, he would declare the kingdom. He would demonstrate the kingdom. But not only that, he would disciple others that they would take on this mission also known as the kingdom assignments, together with him and to partner and participate with him. So that was a simple plan that this is what, that was, that was what he would do. But here comes the period. But for how long? Now, Jesus knew his time was not forever, right? He, he had three years. Friends, if you had three years to fulfill a kingdom assignment, how would you live? If you knew exactly this was a time frame that you had, what would you do? I want to suggest, and I want to believe, 
that you will live very differently. You'll be so focused. You'll be so clear. You'll know what to say yes to. You'll know what to say no to. And even if other things would come along the way, it would never jeopardize your fulfilling. It will never detract you or distract you from your primary assignment. And I believe in this one phrase we see what Jesus knew. He knew exactly what he had to do, his primary assignment. But he also knew that outside of his primary assignment would be secondary assignments. He would be saving the world, but primarily he reaches people first. That would be phase one. It was not that he didn't love the Gentiles. The Gospels are clear. Even before this passage, Jesus would reach out to Gentiles and he would do what needed to be done. Now, that would be called the secondary assignments that would be outside of the primary assignments, out of the main thing and his main focus. And so can I put it this way, especially in this season, this will be uh, very familiar to us. His primary assignment would have been phase one. And after three years, phase two will kick in and the disciples that he would raise, the people that he would bring into his kingdom, they will have a very clear mandate to take it to the ends of the world. What did Jesus know? He knew his primary assignment. And so right in the middle of this whole conversation, he says this, come on woman, disciples, I, I can do it. You know I can but you see, I need to be precise, I need to be focused, and I need to do what I need to do. And so because Jesus was in phase one, and he knew phase two had not come in yet, and this is why he replied and he said the things in this next one verse, in verse 26. I've been sent to the house of Israel, and because of that, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, this would surprise all of us today, right? And we would look at this line, we say, yo, this is so offensive. Jesus, this is politically sensitive, totally politically incorrect. If Jesus would have said this today, it would have started an all dogs matter movement. Right? I mean, Jesus, how can you first call people dogs, you know? How can you use this term? And after that, uh, why only little dogs? Why not the big dogs? Why not the uh, smaller dogs, you know? Uh, uh, the black dogs or the white dogs or the colored dogs or the pink dogs or the, you know, all dogs matter, Jesus. Now, why did Jesus use a phrase like that? Well, before you get all offended and you tune out from this, will you listen in, right? Because I want to explain to you there's a wonderful reason and a big, big picture that we have to grasp. In Bible times, um, dogs were unclean animals. They were wild animals and they would run around, uh, scavengers, they were fierce, uh, they were dangerous, and the Jews did not take to these very kindly. And so they, were con they, they would consider them as unclean and they would view them with contempt. And because of this, they applied this term then to their enemies as well as to the Gentiles. They were referred to as dogs. Well, it was not a nice term, obviously a negative term. In fact, Paul, later on, in reaching out to the Gentiles and protecting the Gentile believers, he used this same term 
on the Judaizers, Jews who were trying to force the Gentiles to circumcise all over again. And he says, beware of these dogs. And so these were unclean animals, not great stuff. And if you have this context in mind, have this picture in mind, then obviously it's not a pretty, pretty picture. But you see, Jesus used a different word in this entire phrase. He didn't say dogs. He said little dogs. The word that he used was not one that would refer to these scavengers, but it would refer to little dogs or pets, household animals that people would take in and keep, love them, care for them as part of the family. Now, again, to the Jews, this was not really common, but Jesus was in Gentile region and territory. And it was very common for the Greeks to take in these animals, love them, and look after them and care for them. Not so much for the Jews. And so this picture was familiar to the woman from that region. Jesus was speaking in a way, in a language that she can understand. And not only that, she, he's using a little bit of a twist in language here, a picture image to say that it's not good to take the children's bread to give it to the little dogs. If you want the bread now, you've got to get it from the children. Now, children obviously refers to the Jewish people and the little dogs, the pet, now refer to the Gentiles. Now, in that region, there were many impoverished Jews and the norm was more for these Jews to go to the Greeks to ask for bread, to take bread. But Jesus flips this around and he says, now look, the bread is given to the children, to the Jews. Now, if you want this bread, now if you are a Greek and you are a Gentile, you've got to ask them for it. It's going to require humility. It's going to test also her sincerity. Do you want this bread? You've got to have a reversal of roles now. So can you see in one line, so many things packed into it. But for the woman, she would have understood what Jesus is saying. She is looking at the, at the bread now and she says, okay, I'm okay. I, I don't mind coming and, and getting it. And she is not offended by this term of a dog because she knows that she's not being seen as a scavenger. She's being referred to as someone who is loved in the household, just that she needs to wait her turn. Now that we understand this whole scenario, we're going to go back to what she knows some more. Okay, so point number four. Now, she knew God's plan and her place in that plan. Because she replies, and this is what she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. In this one line, what she revealed was, she knows. She says, I hear you, Jesus. I know exactly, exactly what you're saying. The children get to eat first. The little dogs will have to wait their turn. In Mark chapter 7, verse 27, Jesus actually says it in this way, Let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And so she knew that. She says, I know. The little dogs get to go first. She knew. This is what she knew. Get this. She knew that God's plan of salvation was to the Jews first 
But it's not limited to the Jews. That at the right time, if the doors will open to the Gentiles. She acknowledged Jesus. I get it. Lord, your assignment is to the Jews first. But it's not limited only to the lost sheep of Israel. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. She's saying this in, a, in essence. Even though that she's not in the bloodline of the Jews, she was willing to stand in the breadline of the kingdom. And this is so amazing because that was God's ultimate plan of salvation and of the kingdom. That right in the beginning, He already told Abraham, that if you will follow me, I will call out a nation from you. This will be my kingdom. And in and through you and this kingdom, all nations will be blessed. This salvation will come through the Messiah. And through him and all that believe in him, the kingdom will be saved. And she knew that this one, Jesus, the one, this is the Messiah that she was talking to. This is amazing. She knew God's plan and she knew her place in that plan. That although it was not time yet for the Gentiles, even although she was not in the bloodline of the kingdom, she was willing to stand in queue and in the breadline of the kingdom. This is so, so amazing. And that's why when Jesus heard this, he was, he was, in wonder, and even, you know, she had, he had great respect for how much this woman knew the theology and how much she knew of God's plan and the things of the kingdom. The fifth thing that she knew about the kingdom, not just the plan, she knew kingdom abundance is available to everyone and it is available for everyone. So get this. She comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, I know, children go first, but this little pet, even this little pet gets fed, right? You're not going to leave this pet all alone. So feed the children, no problem. I'm willing to wait. She must have heard about the feeding of the 5,000. So can you see, you put these two together. I get it, Lord. Children go first, but after feeding the children, it's my turn. You want to feed the children? Can but you get to feed me and I get to even have a taste of what the abundance is all about. She knew what messianic abundance looks like. The king and the kingdom is not limited in resources. She heard about the 5,000, the breaking of the bread, the feeding of the children, and there was a leftover, 12 baskets full. As I can almost imagine in the mice is thinking, Hey, that's cool, you know. Go, feed the children. Feed them all you want. I'll just have the crumbs. Twelve baskets. Amen. Twelve baskets full of crumbs. If they don't want it, I'll have it. Thank you very much, Lord. You see, she knew not just the king. She knew not just the kingdom. Not just the plan of salvation. She knew that this abundance would overflow in such a mighty way that even the crumbs would satisfy. Even the crumbs of the kingdom will meet every desire and every need. And the messianic abundance is available to all who would come to the king and who would believe in the king. And finally, the point number six here, the sixth thing that she knew. She knew the way to the king's heart 
and into the things of the kingdom. And this is summarized in one simple word, faith. Faith. Jesus hears all these things and he marvels. I'm willing to bet he marveled at that day. And he answered her and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. She displayed such knowledge of, the, of God, of Messiah, of who He is as King and as Judge, His power, His authority, His kingdom, His abundance. But Jesus says, great is your faith. And there's a key I don't want you to miss down here. You see, knowledge is good and she knew all these things, but beyond knowledge is faith to believe in what you know. And this woman expressed that and exhibited that and demonstrated it to Jesus in the way that she postured and came to Him. It was not just, um, okay, I know this, I know this, and I know this. No, it was, I believe in this. She didn't just know it, but she also believed in it. See, knowing is one thing, but believing is a whole different matter. Friends, we may know a lot of things. You know, people in the church, we may know this, we may know that. The question is, do we believe? And when we believe, like this woman believed, Jesus looked at, them, at, at her and then said, great is your faith. Three things that made her faith great, and I want to share this quickly with you. Number one, her faith was great because of the object of her faith. Her object of her faith. You see, many times we can have faith, but if we believe in the wrong things, in the wrong person, then that great faith falls flat. It is you. It is useless. Our faith is only great because our God is great. And she knew this great God, this great King. She knew the great plans that He had. She knew the greatness of His mercy, His grace, and His, and His love. She knew that although it was not time for her yet, that she, He would still turn, that her, her faith would touch His heart. Her faith would cause Him to pause, to consider, to, to say, you know, I, I, I need to act right now. And this was her faith. And her faith was in the greatness of His love, His mercy, His goodness goodness, His abundance, and everything about Jesus. And that was what made her faith great. The second thing was that the greatness of faith was tied to, permit me, the doggedness of her faith, right? Isn't it so interesting that Jesus says, uh, she, Jesus used a, a, a term of a dog that it may sound very negative, but permit me even just to use this image of a, of a dog again, that if you understand a dog, when, when, he, when it bites on something, that doggedness, that's where we get this word, he bites on it, he's tenacious, he doesn't let go. When he sinks his teeth into something that he wants, oh man, you've got to pry it away from this person. And that was her faith. There was a dogged faith, a persistent, a tenacious faith, a Stubborn faith that holds on and will not let go. And yet it was not prideful. It was humble. It was worshipful. It was reverent. And you know, this is there was a beauty of the doggedness of her faith, that there was a certain aggression that's there, but there was also a certain reverence that was contained in that faith. And I, I just juxtapose these two things together. It's like I, I see this picture perhaps of a of, of a little puppy holding on to 
something to say, I want this, I want this. And yet the eyes will be like a little puppy dog look. It's like, oh, hmm, like a little whimper that is there. And, 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 and that would have melted the heart of the master and of the king to say, you want it that bad. That's how great your faith is. You know who I am and you know that I'm capable of loving you and extending this grace and this mercy to you. The third thing that made her faith great was the comparison of her faith, not just by herself, but her faith as compared to the people who were expected to believe. And that's why when Jesus encounters a Gentile and hears of how much she knew and how greatly she believed, it wowed him. It's like, wow, this is great faith. Now think about this. Her faith was for breadcrumbs, right? She says, I'm, I'm happy to have breadcrumbs. And I, and I see this like a breadcrumb faith. Now as much as the kingdom abundance and the breadcrumbs is a lot, it is still crumbs, little compared to the abundance of, of, of all that the children would have experienced and would have seen. And yet compared to that kind of a proportion, her faith was great in relation to those who received so much more, seen so much more, promises all given to them, their faith was so minute. And there's a big lesson here for us, my friends. We are people of the kingdom. We are ones who should be believing. And sometimes those who come in first, who hear it for the very first time, they have greater faith than those of us who are in the church with perhaps have gone a little bit jaded, who have been there, done that, heard of these things. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You see, it's not what you know. It's what you believe based on what you know. Our faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word. And we say we know. No. Do we believe then? If we know Jesus, will we believe Him? And that's why the Lord looked at and looked at this woman, listened to all she said, and said, Wow, you've got great faith. You know why? Because I'm a great God, a great king. You've got great faith. Why? Because this greatness of the tenacity just holding on, and yet the greatness of that devotional look and that worshipful stance, and yet the greatness of the faith compared to those who should have believed, and yet they don't. And I believe this was what moved the heart of the king. And immediately he said, let it be to you as you desire. And almost like an afterthought, right? I told you, the deliverance of the demon from the daughter was like a, like a side, side mention. It wasn't a big deal thing, right? It was a small little thing as compared to the greatness of this king and the greatness of the faith of this, this, this woman of, uh, of, of Canaan coming to Jesus. So my friends, against all that she knew, there was one thing that she didn't know. There's one thing that she didn't know. This woman didn't know that her story, her, her breadcrumb faith would make it into the Gospel of Mark as well as the Gospel of Matthew. And this, in fact, would be a centerpiece. That this would open a door to a Gentile mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would sit right in the middle where it would be contrasted with chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. This would be the heart of the matter. Can you see this? That out of this, we see, compared with a heart issue, the heart of the king, the heart of the kingdom, it would then radiate outwards. This would be like the centerpiece. That on one side, you see Jesus feed the 5,000 Jews. But later on, we're going to get to a passage where he feeds 4,000 Gentiles. 
And this is sandwiched right in the middle of the net, you, right in the middle of this whole thing. And you, when you push it a little bit further, you see on one end a, a picture of leaven. Jesus says, this is the kingdom operating system. It's like leaven, a small little thing. And it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. And you don't even understand how it does that. This is, this is the extent and the impact. And we see from one little uh, episode, breadcrumb faith. Jesus goes up and feeds 4,000. And after that, in phase two, conquers the entire known world and spreads out to all the other nations. And today, you and I are part of that Gentile mission. And today, you and I, you know, she didn't even know that what she did would open a door to this, that we are no longer considered little household pets. We are children of God together with the Jews. We are people of the kingdom. That's no longer Jew or Gentile, but all who are in Christ. Children of the Most High God, people of the kingdom, same equal status. But what opened that door? Perhaps this, this, this great faith, this breadcrumb faith. She didn't know that. She didn't, she didn't know that, right? How would she understand? All she knew was that she was approaching a great king and she knew God's plan. And she said, I want in into all that. But don't miss the next part of that story where sandwiched between one leaven, juxtaposed another leaven. And this is the key that we will cover soon enough, where Jesus then later would tell the disciples, you be careful, get the right leaven, okay? You want kingdom leaven. You don't want the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's hypocritical leaven, and that's religious leaven. That's not going to go anywhere. And so can you see this one little story of this woman can open the door to so many, so many things. So my friends, let's bring this to a close. We've already covered what she knew. We explored what Jesus knew. But let me close with this. What we need to know. It's one thing to look at Everything about this woman is like, oh, wow, wow, wow. But would you agree with me? Everything she knew, we need to know. Everything she knew and everything she believed based on what she knew, we need to know and believe with that same doggedness and that same greatness. We need to know our King all over again. We, we don't want just, oh, I know Jesus. Yeah, you know, in Jesus' name we pray. No, no, no. We, we don't want that intellectual knowledge only. We want that relationship with Him. We want to know the King. We want to know how to approach Him in the correct manner. We want to know how to persist in our prayers and our requests. Not only that, we want to know the entirety of God's plan and where we fit in, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a part to play. The woman knew her place. Do we know ours? I want to know what Jesus knew. He was so clear about his kingdom assignment. He was so clear about a primary assignment. He refused to be distracted to the left or to the right. I want to know that. I need to know that. And yet, does it mean that I don't care about things outside that sphere? No. 
Leave room for God to move. Leave room for God to direct us. Anyone who comes along the way, if they want to encounter the king, then what we need to know, the heart of the king and his kingdom. And if it, if it needs to be done, if it needs to be said, if, it, if the person needs to be ministered to, let's do that, but not get distracted. Come back on track again. We, like this woman, we need to know what messianic abundance is all about. That even we, even when we have a little bit, it's actually quite a lot, but there's so much more that is in it for the people of the kingdom. And of course, last but not least, let's know the way into the king's heart, the way to the king's heart, that faith pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So friends, it's not about what she knew. It's not about what we know. Sometimes what we know can puff us up and we think, oh, we can have this argument and fight with people and argue with people. I don't want that kind of a knowledge. Knowledge is not meant for that. Faith pleases God. It's not just what I know. It's what I believe based on what I know. If I say I know, would I believe it? And if I would believe it, would I obey? And would I move according to what I then know? And we teach so many today when we say this, that you know what misalignment is? Misalignment is knowing but not believing or believing but not moving at all. And so I I pray that we don't fall into that kind of a trap or be deceived just because we know it, but we don't do it. That's called a self-deception. And so I pray, I pray that this teaching would have encouraged you. I pray that you will review this, revisit this, read the scriptures once more and see how there's a woman on the outskirts, marginalized, not even in the the scheme of things. And yet when she comes to Jesus and Jesus encounters her, everything she knew was poured out. Her faith just was expressed in such beautiful ways. Jesus, the things that he knew, and yet was willing to make exceptions to move according to how the Spirit would direct him because he was the king, he is the king, and he carries the heartbeat of the kingdom. May we know that. May we know that. And may we believe and move on that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this little story of breadcrumb faith. This little episode, Lord, this woman that we don't even know her name, maybe we'll call her Faith. Lord, I thank you for her example and her story. That what she knew, she didn't just keep within her. What she knew, her one person, one act, one moment, opened a door for her daughter to be delivered. Opened a door for a Gentile mission. Opened a door for 4,000 more to be fed. Opened a door, perhaps, for later on phase two to kick in. Lord, may we understand this, that what we know and our faith based on what we know, when we move correctly, Lord, what we may not know is how you will use us. How will you use our knowledge and our faith, O Lord, to open doors into lives that we may never even fathom or understand or even uh, uh, know on this side of eternity? But Lord, I pray, will you use us, Lord, everything that we know, Lord, convert it, Lord, into great faith for the glory of your name and the purposes of your kingdom. So I pray for everyone listening in, Lord, that faith would arise in all of us, Lord, that may it be great faith, Lord, that would glorify the greatness of our King, Lord Jesus, and the greatness of your kingdom. 
We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.